Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast for this week. I hope you are all doing really well. Uh, you had a nice weekend. You're taking good care. Um, yeah, I hope all of those things. So, so over the weekend, as well as doing some gardening and hanging out with friends and all of those good things, uh, I watched some documentaries and two in particular <laughs> love a good documentary. I posted about one uh, on my socials and they've really inspired the podcast topic for today. So for everybody who's sent me a message saying, can you do one on this part of marketing or that part of marketing? Boring. No. Today we're talking about the uh, what I think is an important conversation and heck, you know, this one might be a controversial podcast. I've tried to tone it down a little bit. If you've been with me in Thailand, I tend to rant on this topic, but not on the public record, with the exception perhaps of today. The topic is what are you actually teaching? Question mark. So the two documentaries that I watched uh over the weekend. The first one, it's on Netflix. You can get it on Netflix. Uh, it's called American Gospel. So it's about, uh, I loved it. I, it was a really, it was quite long. It was over two hours. I'm like, don't stop. Kept pausing it to do chores so that I could stretch it out. If you haven't watched it, check it out. Uh, really good stuff. Um, essentially, it's about the prosperity gospel movement and what that means and how uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and, you know, you can message me on this if you want to. I'm not a Christian, um, but essentially it's a, you know, it's a documentary about how the prosperity gospel movement or the abundance gospel movement that definitely started in the U.S. Uh, and has led to those, you know, billionaire pastors and all that sort of stuff um, is arguably not actually a te teachings from the Bible at all. And a lot of smart people with strong opinions talking about how those mega preachers that, you know, have the mega bucks and the rolls and all the airplanes and all that stuff, uh, very, very selectively choose passages from the Bible uh, and oftentimes preach uh, things that contradict the message of Jesus. Which, of course, got me thinking about, well, shit, that happens in yoga all the goddamn time. Um, people picking bits and pieces out of, you know, scripture and using it out of context to make a point that more closely aligns to common teachings in the personal development and um, new age space. And I've talked a little bit about this in the past. I have my own view of it, but it definitely, watching this documentary again, it was called American Gospel, got me thinking about how we do that in this industry, in the modern postural yoga industry. The other documentary that I watched, it's an older, I think it was 
put out in uh, 2010. You can get it on Amazon. It's called David Wants to Fly. It's a documentary about this German dude who uh, was a filmmaker and a fan of David Lynch and uh, David Lynch is a devotee of uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and so David, also the name of the filmmaker, the German filmmaker, goes on this journey um, into TM, Transcendental Meditation, and to India and to the Maharishi Mahesh University in Iowa, da da da. Anyway, it's it's about that topic and, uh, well, if you've been listening to my podcast for any period of time, you will know that I have a fetish for... Anything about gurus, and in fact, um, you know, I've been on my own very small Maharishi Mahesh Yogi journey in the sense that, um, one, the White Album is one of the best albums of all time. Don't DM me about that. If you don't agree, I never want to speak to you. That's just, I'm quite binary on that one. Uh, And, you know, a bunch of it, some of the tracks are directly about... um, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, uh, and a bunch of them were written in Rishikesh. So, you know, I have have that connection. Um, I, you know, I've been to the ashram in Rishikesh, and I know a bunch of you have because you have photos of it on your socials. I have that, you know, all the graffiti of the Beatles and whatnot and that. Um, my coach often talks about the Maharishi effect, which I think is interesting and probably quack science, but there you have it. I'm not an expert on that. I've done no research on the Maharishi effect, so you don't need to message me on that one. I have read a bunch of uh, biographies, autobiographies, memoirs uh, of former disciples, devotees, um, Susan Shumsky's in particular, but I've also, you know, listened to podcasts and whatnot about people who came out of that movement. And um, in my teacher, my, my one, one of my teachers, he met Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and I had a interesting conversation with him with my teacher about that and about um people like uh Shri Shri Ravishankar who was uh you know very close to um the Maharishi so sort of have an interest in that space and um and in watching in watching this documentary David Wants to Fly again it sort of threw me into this space of well how do you know what's true and how do you know what um, what at what point a teaching becomes corrupt or a teaching becomes diluted to the point where it's lost its efficacy or a teaching is out of context to the point where it's the point you know the way the way in which it's being used uh, contradicts the larger picture the bigger picture you know the I was listening to some podcasts um, the Generation Cult podcast and there was a woman on two episodes who had been raised in in that um, they call it a cult whatever you want to call it spiritual movement whatever lineage whatever you want to call it uh, and and you know she was talking about how if, if you were right in it like she said her father died eighty thousand dollars in debt because he had a degenerative disease an incurable degenerative degenerative disease but had been paying for these kind of blessed jewels um from his guru that were purported to be able to heal him and in fact he died significantly in debt having bought these 
jewels that didn't in fact convey the healing properties that they had you know that had that had been uh, ascribed to them and, and and she was saying that it's only when you get into a certain level that you realize it's a cult and and her words not not mine I'm not making a claim on that I don't know enough about it uh, but I do know that that for me my interaction with that movement is highly beneficial and in fact were it not for uh, the Maharishi and and the way that he brought the teachings of TM to the West, a lot of the people that I look up to and and have as a sort of peripheral teachers in my life um, at some point touched that tradition and and that and that furthered their journey. So all of this to say that I think you know one of the things that we perhaps don't talk enough about in modern postural yoga is the idea of epistemology, the idea of um, you know how do we know what we know? Why do we know what we know? And 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 bringing more rigor to the thinking and to and awareness of the thinking that goes into um, deciding what's right and what's true and what's wrong and what's untrue. I think that we take a lot of things for granted. I think that we can, and maybe it's part of the way that yoga teacher trainings operate in and of themselves, like shit, it's 200 hours. What, you're going to learn all that in 200 hours? Of course, we take a whole lot of stuff for granted. I don't know about you, but there wasn't a whole lot of, in my 200 hours, maybe, I don't know, one of, I had a faculty that taught that. There was one teacher on the faculty that probably, uh, encouraged any type of critical thinking process in his delivery of the material. But for the rest of it, it was just kind of trying to survive and assimilate all of this stuff and get my head around some really complex ideas in another language, which involved a whole new way of looking at the world. I was not placed at all um, just by my own, what I, what I brought to the party, let alone the way that the teaching was facilitated to employ any type of critical thinking techniques. And so what that meant was I just took it all on board as true because you're the teacher, I'm the student, you you know more than me and I'm here, I'm, I've paid, you know, I've put the money down. So so that also gives it a level of, of value and, um, and, and so I'm going to take this as truth. So I think probably the very, the subject matter itself, the complexity and um, magnitude of yoga and the, what it, that even is, plus the delivery system under which we become qualified as teachers ourselves, neither of these things, or, sorry, both of these things I think uh, put us in a position where we're actually primed to uh, assume and absorb and take on information without having thought about it properly. So we need to come back to this idea of epistemology and and. and how knowledge works and what we actually bring to um, the learning process, you know, the, how, what, the validity, the, the way that we learn, the scope of knowledge and be more mm, discerning and intentional about what we then pass on to our students. For the most part, I guess, you know, I do, I'm guessing you do. We think that we're fairly clear thinkers, right? Like we're, we're open people. We want to um, be mindful. We want to be conscious. We want to 
be self-aware. We like to think that we're well-balanced. We like to think that we don't have biases or we don't discriminate. Um, And yet, of course, of course we do. (laughs) Of course we do. We tend to think that, you know, the beliefs of the world are, are fairly straightforwardly, you know, that they're fairly mechanically made by straightforward thinking and reasoning. That, that's why we believe what we do, because of course. Um, and, and, and we also tend to believe um, the beliefs of people that we admire and trust, of authorities, of our teachers. And like I said before, I believe and again, this this is my belief. It's not based on any research that I've done, but I suspect that um, when there is a financial commitment involved, this situation amplifies. So, for example, if I paid my first two hundred hour yoga teacher training was about from memory about eight thousand dollars. So, the very nature of that financial exchange means that I'm even more. I'm eight thousand dollars invested in believing the teachings of the teacher and believing the rigor and the value uh, of what she's telling me. You know, I've uh, just recently rewatched the uh, Enlighten Me documentary because the new Wondery podcast uh, about um, that guy, <laughs> who I then went and looked at his Instagram. Don't follow him on Instagram. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, anyway, um, you know, the new Wondery podcast, Guru, uh, which I'm enjoying, so we're in rewatched um, that documentary. And, and they talk about, I think it's Kirby Brown's mother, talks about one of the reasons why, despite, so I'm talking about the situation where there was a, um, it was in Arizona, there was a personal development seminar week and three people died in an extreme heat uh, test endurance test that the retreat leader referred to as a sweat lodge and um one of the women her name was kirby brown and in the podcast they were interviewing her mother and her mother was talking about how she did a lot of extreme sports and she was a very active woman and she did very much know her own limitations in her own body and 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 she was also a woman who played full out and i don't know the exact number but it was a very very expensive retreat uh that these people went on and kirby brown's mother mentioned a number of times how kirby brown had um invested her life savings she was 40 i think when she passed she'd invested her life savings to pay for this one week and that meant that she that the simple financial commitment that she'd invested um perhaps uh, skewed her point of reference and taking the teachings of this teacher to be true over her own innate body wisdom about being at risk of death. So, you know, all of this to say that we tend to believe people that we like, that we trust, that we admire, that have authority over us, that are our teachers and my personal, uh, I, I suspect that that is compounded when there is a financial uh, element to it when people have paid to learn from us and what we also you know we also um we also bring to what we what we perceive as true what we believe to be the right way um you know all of our all of our karmas all of our samskaras all of the stuff all the vasana all of the stuff that make us who we are so if knowledge was as simple as black and white 
then we would all agree with each other all of the time and there would never be any conflicting beliefs. And obviously you can point out huge um, issues in the in society right now that illumine this point. But for me and the conversation for today, I want to bring it back to our in- industry and think about simple things like where we can't even agree as all we're all, let's say, let's just decide for the point of argument that we are all as equally passionate and knowledgeable as about yoga as each other. Like, let's just take that as a given. And yet within that presumption, a lot of people like to talk about seven chakras. If I'm with my teacher, baby, there's six. There's only six. There's not seven, you know? Uh, what about, you know, are you a Vaishnavite or a Shaivite? That's pretty polarizing. You know, Prabhupada, if you're a Shaivite, you're fucked. That's not how he'd say it. Um, what about Amy getting on her high horse about there's no sex in Tantra? That's Neo-Tantra. Except if you look to Tibet, and then there is, you can fuck yourself to enlightenment with, you know, the right teacher and teachings and all the rest of it. It's not that easy, but it's there. But I've been adamant for like years about, well, apparently not. You know, what about the one about uh, you can't do inversions when you've, or when you're bleeding? Because if you ask me, if it all took your uterus, turn it a uterus upside down and it freaked the hell out. My God. Really? Is that true or not? But for some people, it's very true. If you're a Brahmin, you don't want a dirty woman in your classroom if she's you know, impure, which is what happens. What about the thing about the ancient nature of yoga? Or is yoga 150 years old, you know? So all of this stuff, all of this stuff, the the point I guess I want to make is that I think we need to get, uh, I would love it, in fact, if we could start to uh, bring a greater level of, um, maturity to the conversation let's talk about what's going on here and I'm not interested in making my point and winning a conversation I mean I'm perfectly placed to do that right because this is one-way information baby and if I wanted to do that you can't argue back I mean you can message me but I can delete you but that's not what I want to do what I want to do is actually suggest that all of us together raise the bar here on the level of sophistication that we bring to these conversations. And I've got sort of three topic subtopics that I want to talk about a little bit now. I know this podcast topic is a little wide ranging. It's not like how to write a blog in five simple steps. But you know, sometimes girls got to have a bigger conversation. So the first thing I think we need to embrace, really embrace is this idea of argumentation, right? I think we've lost this and I want to bring it back in its, in, in its true way. Argumentation in the sense of arguing a point, having a proposal and, and having the, and being able to back it up, being able to make solid points and being able to draw a conclusion in conversation with someone else. I'm not talking about fighting or disagreeing, but being able to make an argument for what you believe and to pursue that. And I think we avoid doing this. I wonder, you know, I was taking notes for for the podcast today, 
one of the things that came up from me when I was thinking about, why don't we do that? We love yoga. We love these ideas. We're passionate about this stuff. For many of us, we left a reliable career. And if, you know, if you're like me, I walked away from a qualification. I'd paid tens of thousands of dollars and years of my life to earn to pursue yoga. Why aren't we prepared to fight for what we, not fight, but, you know, argue, really back ourselves and talk about deeper issues? Why? Why aren't we prepared to do that? Like, like, why aren't, if, if I'm a, a, a tantrika and I'm talking to a Advaita Vedantist, like, why aren't we prepared to actually have a great conversation about Maya, good or bad, illusion or not? You know, what, what, what about uh, if, if, if I, I don't know, let's say I'm talking to someone who has, who's been a TM, a transcendental meditation practitioner for their whole life. And it's what brings them creativity and brings them peace and gets them feeling closer to their true nature. Why not have a conversation about that? And and I want to have that argument about yogic flying. Where did that come from? Why is it a thing? Because if you ask Susan, she's got a very different you know view of it. If you are compared to if you ask someone who's still in the movement, still seeking those higher states through that method. Uh, what about like energy healing and Reiki? Like, let's talk about it. Let's let's have an argument. If you are a Reiki master, if that's part of your business, that's your vocation, and you've seen it work, I want to argue with you because that's not my opinion. And I'm not saying that either of us is right or wrong, but this this you know, the grokking together of all of it, I think is, is beautiful. And we, we avoid it. Send me a message on Instagram. If you're jiving with this, like we avoid leaning in and saying, you know what, actually, I think that Reiki has no basis in yoga or chakra theory. And I believe that it's purely a placebo effect. And I don't care because it helps people and so it's awesome. Like, I want to do that with someone who else who's done all the study and knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do and can make their points about why it's right and why it's real and how it works and how it's connected. Why do we avoid having these types of arguments? I think it's because yogis, modern postural yoga practitioners, you know, generally talking about Western folks, and I'm generally talking about, well, let's face it, white Western folks of means. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we tend to have a people-pleasing situation. I'm not going to pull someone else up on having a leaning in and having a, a gritty, deep, juicy conversation, an argument, because I don't want to upset them. I want them to like me. I don't want them to think that I'm mean or I, I, I'm spiritual that means I'm nice all the time right and I'm enabling and I'm friendly does it I don't know I don't think so so I guess part of this idea if we loop back to what what the hell are you talking about today Amy I'm talking about what are you even teaching I think we need to bring some integrity to what we're teaching or an integrity check to what we're teaching and one of the ways to do that is 
through interrogating what we're teaching, what we believe. Let, let's interrogate that a little bit. How do you do that? Well, you argumentation. Like sit down with someone who's got a different view and, and thrash it out for pleasure, for delight, for insight, not because you're trying to take somebody else down. It's not personal. Like I said before about knowledge, it's not just we think. It's, it's uh, knowledge is um, a straightforward thing. It's not. It's so layered. It's so nuanced. It's made up of so many, uh, you know, layers of, of meaning and, um, and everything that we bring to it creates it to be. It's not simply a fact. That, you know, is that even possible? I, I don't know. I doubt it. So call to action, I guess, one of them for today is like argue with each other. Let's argue more. It's one of the things I love most about going to Yogaville is that it doesn't matter, you know, there are hundreds of people there the weekend that I go and it doesn't matter where you sit for dinner. You're going to sit down at a table with people and argue stuff. Like big stuff, right from the get-go. <laughs> vegetarian, not vegetarian. Ahimsa, not ahimsa. What does Anna Farah say? Fuck ahimsa. And like this is like arguing this stuff again, in a pleasurable, respectful, delightful way. I think it's important, and we've got to lean in and do more of it, not avoid it because we don't want to offend somebody, nor seek to make somebody wrong as a result. That's boring too. The second thing I want to talk about in terms of what are you teaching anyway is just simply cognitive simply simply cognitive biases. That it doesn't matter what the knowledge is, it's never going to be the same for anybody simply because of the fact that we're human. Simply because we are all uh kind of at the whim of multiple cognitive biases. The way that we perceive is always wholly unique for each of us. And and we need to know that when we think about well, what do we bring into the table here? If I'm going to fight for my belief in whatever element of yoga you choose, I can't just say, well, mine's the true way because I'm bringing, you know, all this other stuff to the table. Things like, you know, you see this with, um, you see that this kind of sunk cost fallacy. And I know I've spoken to recently, I've spoken to, um, I've spoken to people, for example, who trained with Bikram. Right at the beginning. And there comes a point like this, 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 I'm not speaking about anybody here, but you can imagine this idea of sunk cost, cost people stay with a tradition for so much longer because of what they've invested. And I'm not just talking in this instance, you could argue it's the happy, healthy, holy organization, Bikram. I mean, shit, it happened for Anusara, the lineage that I was pursuing, um, and I'm not saying any of them are bad or you should leave any of them or you should stay in any of them. This is exactly my point. But what I'm saying is 
that decision in and of itself, are they bad, should I leave, are they good, should I stay, is not simply about knowledge because, for example, the sunk cost fallacy, if you've invested your whole life, if your whole family is in that movement, if you've spent all your money getting the certification, if you've built a business that is branded in this way and, it's, and it is generating your livelihood, it's not as easy as just saying, you know what, I don't feel good about this movement anymore, I'm leaving. It's like you're in. And these types of cognitive biases, we need to recognize them and honor them and, 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 and talk about them and be, and be available to be challenged about them because, let's face it, do we know we've got them? Maybe not. It's kind of the, one, my, one of my favorites is the idea of illusory correlation. You know, if this looks a bit like that, then it must be true. And for me, that one's the Pashupati seal. I mean, shit, you want to have a conversation about how old yoga is? If you're of the yoga is ancient camp, you're going to haul out the Pashupati seal and tell me that that dude is doing yoga asana. That's Padmasana that he's doing right there. So ergo, yoga is ancient. Well, is it? Or is that? cognitive bias is that the illusory correlation of that looks like that so light on, the picture of Mr. Iyengar doing Padmasana in light on yoga looks like this carved piece of stone from 3000 years ago whatever so it must be the same thing those positions of the legs mean that guy's doing yoga as well maybe he's just sitting like that do we know don't know but we need to recognize that for that we ha- that there is a bias towards doing that doing exactly that this looks like that so it must be the same what about the idea of confirmation bias now i remember talking to my teacher about confirmation bias because i was fearful that um uh, you know as someone who's more interested in the tantric approach to yoga and don't go there, Amy. Rain it in. <laughs> Maybe, you know, my reading of the Bhagavad Gita was, uh, you know, I, I was um, limiting my availability to consider other forms because of confirmation bias. For example, I remember, bless you if you're listening, those women who came with me going to a lecture in Brisbane um, about the Bhagavad Gita, which was essentially, uh, it wasn't ISKCON, but it was... Um, a derivative group of ISKCON. And, you know, in its purest sense, I mean, Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada, <laughs> he had some pretty strong opinions on the role of women, <laughs> right? Um, and he was fairly single-focused in uh, what you got to do and who you got to like to get to oneness, supreme godhead, right? There's one route. If you go to a kirtan with those people, they ain't chanting no shiva chants. There's no... Kashi Vishwanath going on in those kirtans. It's just Krishna. <laughs> and my concern was, well, shit, I don't like, I'm not down with, and I don't I don't vibe with the Bhagavad Gita as it is, Prabhupada's, uh, Prabhupada's Gita. I don't like it. So, you know, I think you can reach enlightenment as a woman. I don't think being a woman is a lesser form of being a man. That's not a belief I hold. Was I 
in in choosing to not pursue that version of the text, that that um, translation and commentary, was I limiting myself? Was I limiting the information that I was taking in? And therefore, was my belief around the teachings of the Gita subject to confirmation bias? I don't know. Like, how do we know? How do we know what is limiting us and how do we know some stuff's just junk and and hateful junk and should be dismissed outright let's face it there's a lot of that going around as well a lot of that going around cognitive biases argumentation knowledge isn't as simple as just knowledge it's because your teacher told it to you so what and so then let's dial it up another level and talk about the guru tattva. <laughs> like, if you really want to get it out there, if you really want to go big, what about the guru tattva? The guru tattva where, where simply our, our innate nature wants to reveal itself to itself such that knowledge is always flowing, real knowledge, truth. Everything is teaching us always. I went to a lecture, workshop, a whole day workshop with one of Australia's, an Australian yoga celebrity, let's just say, been around a while. And he asked me, he'd never met me before. I knew of him because he's a yoga celebrity. And he asked me, well, you know, how long have you been practicing? And that one's always an interesting question, right? And I said, well, you know, I started asana when I was a kid and been teaching for a little while now. And I said, and these days I, I don't really do asana. It's not really part of my practice. And he said, oh, well, you just meditate. And I said, no, I don't really do that either. Um, he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I chant the chalice every day. And, um, you know, I guess I read books and think about things. And that's kind of my practice. And he gave me this look like, well, that's not, like, what are you even, you're kidding yourself. This is, you know, what, that's, that, that's nothing. Um, and at the time I thought, fuck you. Um, but now I just think, okay, that, that, that's cool. That, you know, we've got a different view there. Interesting. You know, this would be something great to have an argument about, not a negative, persecuting, personalized, I'm going to make you wrong and bring you down, but simply let's just grok it out argument. Anyway. What I also think now is that you, knowledge comes in all forms, always. You know what? What? And and the more that you practice, the more that things that no one would consider yoga become yoga. The you know these these things that for me it's become like this the spontaneous intense emotion from something that I never saw coming Ooh, connection you know and not just the the not just the the pretty stuff sure sunlight mist mornings chakipa but but other things too like um you know I, I went to a um uh, looking to buy a house and I went to um uh, some open for inspections on the weekend and one of the houses that I went to was magnificent. Magnificent in the way that obviously the person who owned it had it was just her life's work. Like for me, I could tell being a single 
middle-aged woman in a living in a house that has taken me years <laughs> to get to a point where I really love it, really put my stamp on it, you know, my garden, all of it. It's, it's been a labor of love for years. I could tell walking into this house that this woman, you know, the same deal. Her garden, all the food she was growing, she had chooks, the art in her house, everything just was radiant. I could tell it was so infused with love. And and as I was walking around her house, which is always an awkward thing, um, I noticed things like uh, she had ramps, front back front back door. She had um, a mobility scooter in the garage. She had uh, special handles installed on her bed and in the shower and um, all this sort of stuff. And it became apparent to me that this woman was not leaving her home because she wanted to. She she was obviously, um, you know, she needed more care and she needed to go somewhere where she could get that care and that she was leaving this beautiful, her paradise that she'd made, she she was being forced to leave it. And, like, that was my yoga for Saturday. Like, what, how that, what that does to, what that even just talking about it makes me reconnect to oneness and um, karma and the big teachings, compassion, I mean, compassion. And so coming back to the principle of the guru tattva, like everything is a teaching, everything is knowledge if you're available to it or even if you're not, it kind of might work on you anyway. So what does that mean for what we're teaching to our students? So I think I've just spent the past half hour like opening <laughs> opening a can of worms. And so what I'm going to do for the next five minutes, hopefully, hopefully, is um, try and tie all of this up. So let's come back to the, the top of the uh, podcast. What, are, what Do you even know what you're teaching? And Amy's reflection over the weekend, having watched these two documentaries, was... Um, being aware of the impact of dilution, being aware of the impact of uh, source of teaching, of knowledge. And from there, if we think about these three points, being available to argue as a way of testing integrity. If you can't back it up, it's probably bullshit. Or if you can't back it up, you probably shouldn't be teaching it. Like you need to know more. Go back to your teacher. Reread the thing. Dig further into information. Look at both sides. Look at where your information is coming from. Who wrote it and why? Who's saying it and why? Recognize that for all of us, we're always bringing our stuff to the table. We're always bringing confirmation bias. We're we're oozing this stuff. Everything. Like even just you know in, embodied bias. Like depending on. How I'm feeling today is going to affect what I read and how that influences me and then what comes out of my mouth because of all of that. And then thinking about the guru tattva, like, shit, it's not even this stuff that we're calling knowledge that's actual knowledge. It's even bigger than that. And as soon as we put it into words or try and compartmentalise it or try and turn it into something that we can hold on to, it's no longer as potent as when it was sort of spontaneously arising. <laughs> so what? <laughs> what the hell, Amy? What does all of this mean? What the hell do I do with this? Okay, so <laughs> so here's my point. Actually, I've got two. I think we need to be really clear about the what and the why 
of our teachings. What are you teaching and why? What exactly are you teaching and why are you teaching it? We need to do that for us. But then too, we need to be very respectful of our power differential. That people do presume we know more than they do. And if they are financially invested and they like us, that compounds. So, you know, wield your information and your knowledge carefully, with integrity. Just because someone said it to you doesn't mean it's real, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's the right context for you to be sharing it. Be clear about what and why you're teaching. And all of it, I'm not just talking about philosophy, metaphysics, I mean like, what do you say about the actual asana practice that could be bullshit? Not that I have it. I don't know the answer. I've got some opinions on some teachings that I think is whack. I'm not a swan dive person, but that's just me. Why do I? I mean, you could also argue that standing up with a flat back is really puts too much load on and is too difficult. You shouldn't teach that, Amy. That's that's bad. You shouldn't teach tripod headstand, Amy. That's dangerous. But I think my point, again, what and why, I feel really grounded about that. And then really we all need to respect, me included, in this moment the power differential that we have and how we might not even realise the degree to which we're influencing somebody and so we must be respectful and cautious with the information that we share. I really I have a quote from this is a, from Edwin Bryant uh, from his book Bhakti Yoga, Tales and Teachings from the Bhagavata Purana. Purana. Uh, He says, the dance between reason and the heart is never ending, sometimes causing one to sway and veer towards one modality, sometimes the other. I love this. The dance between reason and the heart is never ending, sometimes causing one to sway and veer towards one modality and sometimes the other. And for me, I mean, this is classic. I'm a coach and a yogi. Those two arguably inherently opposed. Coaching is all about self-improvement, betterment, personal development, moving forward, achieving your goals, making your best life. And yoga at its heart says, well, don't worry about all of that. You're divine already. There's nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done except to remember your divinity, remember your perfect state. It's just that you've forgotten. You know, the, uh, the inherent... Um, contradiction in my life's work. (laughs) I'm constantly dancing between these two poles. And, and, you know, this cognitive dissonance, we can just kind of like ease into it and accept it. I'm not saying we need to choose a right and a wrong. We need to abandon some thought and embrace. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is there is importance on being mindful, particularly when there is a recipient of the information that we've assimilated and are espousing. Okay, so (laughs) here's my summary. All of it, all of it, all of the teachings of yoga, the whole goddamn thing, all of it can be amazing and powerful and all of it gets to be true all of the time because truth is relative. But what we need to do is know why we're teaching it, what it is exactly that we're teaching, not to be an expert because that would be impossible. You could not be an expert in one lifetime on everything. 
even just within the space of yoga, too big. But we need to be able to argue what we're espousing. We need to be able to make a case for it and draw conclusions, have some meaningful points and draw conclusions. And we need to realize that we're bringing our own biases to any um, any consumption of information, any, any uh, sharing of information. And we also need to recognize when we can't when we can't know why or what, we need to recognize our authority in that transference of information and explain it to people. Sometimes this can be as simple as, a, as, as, I don't know what this is going to feel like in your body. In my body, it feels like this. I don't know what, how this is going to influence you, but it shows up for me like this. This is my interpretation on it. I encourage you to do your own thinking and I'd love to hear your reflections. There you have it, folks. That's my podcast for the week. (laughs) Oh, my God. It'll be interesting to look at the stats. How many people actually stayed through this one and, like, listened to the whole goddamn thing? I hope you're going to have a fabulous week. A couple of things before I go. Number one, I'm doing another Coachathon this Thursday, 5 p.m. Melbourne time. So, essentially, that's just um, if you need support with anything, if you'd like some mentoring, some coaching from me, I'm doing weekly complimentary coaching session, group coaching session. So, come along. Uh, the link is in the episode notes or DM me on Insta if you want me to message it to you. We do that via Zoom. Uh, at Amy Yoga Biz Coach is me on Instagram. I'd love to see you there. We've done two so far, uh, four to go. I'm really enjoying spending a bit more time with, with you, uh, people that I haven't seen for a while and new people. It's really lovely to see how this community is growing and expanding. Uh, particularly welcome if you're just joining the Facebook group. We've had a flood of people in the Facebook group, which is lovely. It's Abundant Yoga Teachers if you're not in it yet. Also a reminder that Growing Your Yoga Business Season 7 is now open for registrations and through till Friday, all registrations come with four uh, complimentary coaching sessions. So as well as the group program, you get some one-to-one support from me as well, which is uh, gives you an extra grand nice of uh, value there three hours in total or four 45 minute sessions which is normally a thousand dollars if you wanted to buy it on its own yeah it's yours for free um as a bonus when you sign up for growing your yoga biz which is my four-month group training program uh you can find out more about that at amymcdonald.com.au forward slash gyyb or the link in the episode notes um that's me for today as always love to hear from you love your uh getting your thoughts about the podcast and you know what this is a weird one it's a nerdy one i know um but i'd love to you know did you hate it you just want nuts and bolts was it interesting did it inspire you to go watch the documentaries i mentioned if you do (gasps) message me i want to know what you think uh i really you know maybe we need to start like a nerds documentary club (laughs) we could all stream them at the same time and then get on Zoom and argue about it afterwards, right? Oh, I just think more arguing. We need to argue more, not fight. Argue in the true sense of the word. And then we all learn from each other. Coachathon, 5 p.m. Melbourne time this Thursday. DM me for the link. Uh, And GYYB, 
my four-month group training program comes with $1,000 worth of one-to-one coaching as a bonus if you sign up by Friday night, amymcdonald.com.au forward slash G-Y-Y-B or the link in the episode notes. Take care, everybody, and I'll speak with you next week. Bye. So there you have it, folks, another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favor to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure, of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.